Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. <laughs> This is the best of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. We finally have an end to our long national nightmare. The University of Tennessee set to officially announce a head coach, Jeremy Pruitt. Um, And I thought what was intriguing now is the college coaching carousel has almost come to a stop, it appears. Doesn't mean that somebody might not accept an NFL job. Doesn't mean that it might not start up again a little bit. But I believe outside of Oregon, we basically now are complete with everybody changing jobs. And there have actually been almost half of the SEC to change jobs, six of the 14 jobs. Nebraska, we've got, uh, we've got Florida State, we've got UCLA, we've got Oregon State, we're still waiting on Oregon. So I thought what better time to do a ranking of the college football coaching carousel hires than to start off today's show. And I actually am going to use the baseball metaphor. Since everybody always talks about a coaching hire being a home run, I thought let's go ahead and apply baseball metaphors and I will rank the best possible coaching hires here for you this morning to start the show. I'll also allow you to react 877 877- Nine nine six six three six nine. You can tell me whether you think I'm an idiot, whether you think I'm a genius, or whether the answer lies somewhere in between. And so, let's start with UCLA and Chip Kelly. This isn't even a home run. This is a walk-off grand slam to win Game 7 of the World Series. Chip Kelly to UCLA is, I believe, up there with Saban to Alabama and Urban Meyer to Ohio State. Now, it's not quite there because this guy has not won a national championship, but he was 46-7 and at U- at Oregon. 
He was as dominant of a coach as you can be in the Pac-12, and he did it all at a school that's a little bit outside the recruiting norm. And now he's going to UCLA where he has the opportunities of, uh, frankly, any recruit that he wants. And I think of all the hires that were made, using the baseball metaphor here at play, Chip Kelly to UCLA is a grand slam, the best hire. Now, I think also... In my Grand Slam analogy, I'm contemplating where UCLA is as a program. In other words, if one of the top five programs in America goes out and makes a hire like Chip Kelly, it's not that surprising. But UCLA is a borderline top 25 job in college football. This is by far the best hire they ever made. It's not just that UCLA has got a good coach. It's that UCLA has got a great coach, and their program is not used to hiring great coaches. So Chip Kelly to UCLA, by far the grand slam, the best hire of the coaching season. I've got one more home run. Not a grand slam, but a home run. Hell of a hire. Jimbo Fisher to Texas A&M. Now, I understand some people out there are going to be critical of this hire. They're going to say that Jimbo Fisher is overrated. But Jimbo Fisher is still a relatively young guy in the grand scheme of things. And he now is at a school that has aspirations to be a national championship caliber program. And he's a national championship caliber coach. He's only 52 years old. If you go through his entire resume, I know that Texas A&M is paying him a ton of money. But this was an incredibly executed coaching search. They're paying... $75 million over 10 years, and during his tenure at Florida State, Jimbo Fisher went 83-23, and and every year was pretty outstanding with the exception of this past year. And I honestly think if DeAndre Francois had not gotten hurt, he would have been in position to win 9 or 10 games again instead of his team going 6-6. and they would have been eight and four or nine and three. 83 and 23 over his time and tenure at Florida State, 48 and 17 in the conference. And prior to this year, the worst season he had had was nine and four, and his team had finished ranked every year. And in five of the four of the last five years, they'd been eight. 1, 6, 14, and 8 in the coaches' poll. This, I think, is a hire that is going to put A&M in the mix to win a national championship. You look at the roster of quarterbacks he has had on the offensive side of the ball, and you feel very good about what A&M can do uh, at that position as college football has become a little bit more like the NFL where the quarterback position is just so all-encompassing and important. So the top two on my list, Chip Kelly's a grand slam, Jimbo Fisher a home run. How about a triple? I'm going with Scott Frost to Nebraska. Now people say, oh my God, how could you say Scott Frost to Nebraska is just a triple? It's an unbelievable hire. This guy's team just went 13-0. and I would hit the pause button and say Scott Frost has only been a head coach for two years. So as good of a hire as this is for Nebraska, and I think it's a great one, He still only has two years of winning coaching experience. He's gone 6-7, and and now he's gone 12-0. and 
I guess it is. I thought it was 13-0, and 0, but I, man, maybe it's – is it 13-0? and 0? Did he get his 13th win? I can't remember if Central Florida had to cancel a game for the Hurricane or not. I think they did, so I think it's 12-0. and 0. Regardless, Central Florida, he's only been there two years. I know he's got a great background in terms of where he is coached. He's been at, uh, you know, obviously at Oregon and learned a lot about their offense, took it to Central Florida, had a lot of success. I'm just willing to say a triple – because he's only coached for two years. All right. So my top three coaching hires of the offseason, Chip Kelly to UCLA, Jimbo Fisher to Texas A&M, Scott Frost to Nebraska. We got a grand slam, a home run, a triple. And now I'm moving into the double ranks. Dan Mullen to Florida. I understand Florida Gator fans might think, oh my God, how can you only have Dan Mullen as a double? Because I think, frankly... Florida would have been in a lot better shape if they had gotten Chip Kelly or Scott Frost. I think both of those guys offered the potential of Steve Spurrier-level dominance, of Urban Meyer-level dominance at Florida. If Chip Kelly had things rolling at Florida like he had them rolling at Oregon, he'd be beating everybody by 50. The same thing could be true of Scott Frost, who's only 42 years old. Dan Mullen is going to be good at Florida. I'm not sure he's going to be great. I think the worst he's going to do is go 8-4. and four. But I'm not sure that he's going to consistently contend for national championships. So I've got Dan Mullen sliding in at a solid double. Nice little liner to left field if you are in the gap. If you are a left-handed hitter, nice little rip into the right field uh, gap, all rolling all the way to the wall here. I also have as a double Chad Morris to Arkansas. I really like this hire. And... Willie Taggart to Florida State. Now, some of you out there are going to say, oh, you've underrated. No, I think I've I've got those about right. I think I've got those about right. Dan Mullen, Chad Morris, and Willie Taggart all doubles on behalf of Florida, Arkansas, and Penn State. All right, what about what I would say is to be determined. There's a 3-2 count with the bases loaded, and you've got a batter up at the plate. I'm not one of these guys who comes out and says when you hire a coordinator to be a head coach, that definitely means that you're going to be successful. Maybe you're going to get a Kirby Smart, but there's also the possibility that you're going to end up with somebody that you don't really think should have ever been a head coach to begin with because, frankly, you don't have any idea when you move from coordinator to head coach how that coach is going to translate going forward. So I would say these are 3-2 counts with the bases loaded, and we frankly don't know what's going to happen. Joe Moorhead to Mississippi State, Jeremy Pruitt to Tennessee, Josh Heupel to Central Florida. I like all three of these hires. I think they have the potential, based on their coaching history, to be excellent. But we don't really know what is going to happen because these guys have never been at the top of their own program. So I think that's... You know, that's why it's important to say, hey, you know what? Solid opportunity, uh, but we really don't know. Same thing would be true uh, of uh, Jonathan Smith, I believe, as the new coach at Oregon State, the former co-offensive coordinator at Washington, I believe. All of these guys, we just don't know enough about whether or not they're going to be um, an incredible hire and an incredible success. I would say we have one strikeout. One guy standing up at the plate who just watched three strikes go rolling right by 
and that is Herm Edwards at Arizona State. I have no idea what Arizona State was thinking hiring Herm Edwards. There's one that I would term a strikeout. So if you're just getting into your car, my ranking, and I want to hear yours, 877-996-6369. I'll also ask the crew to break down their rankings, and I'm going to tell you why Tennessee made what I think is an infinitely better hire than they would have made if they hadn't listened to their fan base. I'll discuss that with you on the flip side here. But again, my rundown of the college football coaching carousel hires. Grand slam, Chip Kelly to UCLA. Solid, home run, Jimbo Fisher to Texas A&M. Triple Scott Frost to Nebraska. Double Dan Mullen, Chad Morris, and Willie Taggart to Florida, Arkansas, and Florida State, respectively. A strikeout, Herm Edwards to Arizona State. And a 3-2 count with the bases loaded. We don't know exactly. Joe Moorhead to Mississippi State. Jeremy Pruitt to Tennessee. Josh Heupel to Central Florida. And certainly, I think, we don't really know about this either, Jonathan Smith to Oregon State. Did I miss anybody that you want to hear about? Obviously, I didn't really rank Ole Miss promoting Matt Luke either because I, I, I think interim to head coach, Ole Miss is in such a difficult shop right now with the NCAA issues that it's hard to really know how Matt Luke is going to be. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Would you be okay with your program hiring Hugh Freeze as an offensive coordinator this year? Freeze is eligible to be an assistant coach without a penalty in 2018. And so far in the NCAA report, he was uh, was found to not be culpable in terms of knowing about what was going on at Ole Miss at a lower level among his assistant coaches. The poll question is up. Hundreds of you already voting. Would you be okay with your program hiring Hugh Freeze? 57% of you, as hundreds of votes roll in, you can go vote on this yourself. At Clay Travis on Twitter, you can go vote. Uh, and what your opinion is about Hugh Freeze back as an offensive coordinator. 57% of you are saying, yes, you would be okay with that. I think this is a situation where a lot of people, frankly, look at Hugh Freeze and say, man, this guy was pretty successful at Ole Miss, but they also are maybe a little bit having trepidation about hiring him. But I think this is a sign of the success of Hugh Freeze at Ole Miss gives him more leeway than a guy who might not have had as much success, obviously, and then has issues in his past. I would say that Hugh Freeze is very much like Bobby Petrino. And Bobby Petrino came back, took a job as a head coach at Western Kentucky, and then became a head coach at Louisville. If Hugh Freeze has to go back to being an offensive coordinator before he can be a head coach, then he served a pretty substantial penalty here. He lost his job in the $5 million a year guaranteed that Ole Miss had given him. He also obviously would have to go back to being an offensive coordinator as opposed to being a head coach and work his way back up to head coach status. He had to deal with the public fallout of his failures on the national stage. His family appears to have uh, have stayed together. And to me, if you listen to this show regularly, you know that I'm a guy who is willing to give second chances to talented people who make mistakes. That's my personal belief. 
I don't know if it comes from having grown up in the Southern Baptist Church where, by and large, you learn people mess up and you also learn that everyone is capable of redemption. I personally would be fine with Hugh Freeze being hired as an offensive coordinator at a major program if I were making that decision. Not my decision. A lot of fans out there will decide whether that's appropriate. A lot of coaches will decide. Lots of administrators will decide. Will decide and maybe some executives at uh, the different conference administrative levels will have to make decisions about whether or not that's an appropriate decision too. Uh, what do you guys think? Would you be okay with Hugh Freeze as offensive coordinator in 2018, Jason Martin? Yeah, I would with a couple of caveats. I think he needs to go to a place with a good reputation right now. I don't think he could go to a place like Baylor, for example. I don't think that I don't honestly think he should go to Tennessee either just because of the moral high ground that they used against Giano. I think he needs to go somewhere where there haven't been a lot of whispers about that kind of thing. But I do believe absolutely in redemption. And if you listen to the Xavier AD, the hearing officer for the Ole Miss case, he writes or says a lot of people will throw head coach responsibility into one big bucket. But a lot of times people don't step out and realize there are two prongs to the head coach responsibility. There's failure to promote an atmosphere of compliance, and there's failure to monitor. And the belief was Freeze was not willingly ignoring violations so he didn't get the kind of punishment others do so I don't know we don't know because we're not Hugh Freeze what he knew and what he didn't know but I absolutely do believe in redemption I just think it needs to be at a fairly squeaky clean place at least the first time what about you guys in LA you don't follow necessarily college football as closely as probably some of the listeners do I mean uh, and, and that sort of thing. But when you just look at this kind of objectively, do you think guys think Hugh Freeze deserves a offensive coordinator job? Or maybe not deserves is the right word. Would you have a problem with him getting an offensive coordinator job this year? Well, know about him very well and his scandals because we work with you and hear you, you heard you <laughs> talk about him. It's definitely in the college football hall of shame for the uh, cell phone stuff. But I, I mean, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you about his winning percentage. I mean, the first few years at Old Miss, he was 34 and 18. He beat Alabama in consecutive seasons in uh, 14 and 15. So because of that, yeah, why not give him a job as a coordinator? Now, I would pause as far as giving him a head coaching position with everything that's swirled around him, but uh, a coordinator position, that's fine. Yeah, I, I, I agree as well. Justin, you agree? Fine with the coordinator position. By the way, you can go vote if you have an opinion on this. Approaching 1,000 people have voted so far. 57% are fine with uh, Hugh Freeze being an offensive coordinator at their program. The question I phrased again, would you be okay with your program hiring Hugh Freeze as offensive coordinator this year? 57% saying yes, they would be okay with that decision. Justin, you agree? Clay, I'd be fine with... Uh, him being a head coach. I mean, I, I mean, just based on, I mean, he had to serve a two-game suspension in conference games as a head coach. So I think that's probably not going to happen immediately. But I mean, I think there are some people out there saying that as well, saying you know, if you look at this situation in general, Bobby Petrino didn't have to go become an offensive coordinator. He set out a year, and then he took over the job at Western Kentucky, and then he took over the job at Louisville. And frankly, to me. What Bobby Petrino did was worse than what Hugh Freeze did. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. The balancing act that the NFL now finds itself in trying to figure out how are they going to reconcile what is a truly violent game without, at the same time, 
hurting their overall brand and also not driving the players insane with inconsistent applications of rules. I think the reason why they're fining players and why we're getting these suspensions is straightforward. They're trying to slow the game down. And we've seen it in college football already. We have seen it already in college football that the targeting rule is designed not only to penalize players, and by the way, its application is tough. I think it makes it tougher for officials. I think it makes it tougher on replay officials. The design of the targeting rule is not just to take those hits out of the game. It's to slow down the game a little bit. Because every year, players are getting bigger, stronger, and faster. And so the game is moving at such a rapid rate that controlling yourself and ensuring that you don't have an improper hit is almost impossible. You talk to guys in the secondary, and I think there's a lot of uh, guys who were upset, much like Mike Mitchell, the Steelers' safety we just heard from. They don't feel like they can play football at the same pace and not occasionally go over the line with the hits. And that's why I think this is a fundamental issue for football in general that college and pro are both trying to, to address. How do you handle this? How do you handle a game that is fundamentally not safe and attempt to make it safer in a modern era of CTE. And players are upset with the fines and everything else, but the rules are designed to make them safer. That's the irony here, right? They're mad at the NFL for the fines. They're mad at the NFL for the implementation of the rules. But the rules are designed to make players safer and lead to fewer CTE-related issues, fewer concussions, And the real challenge here, and I think this is a a legitimate one, is can you make a fundamentally unsafe game safe? I think the answer is no. I, I, I Frankly, I don't know what you do to make football safer. It's a violent game played by grown-ass men who have spent their entire lives training their bodies to allow them to perform at as violent of a level as possible. It's modern-day gladiatorial sports. And so how do you take away some of the violence of football? I don't know how you do it. I don't know how it's possible to make the game safer while at the same time not, in situations like these, fining players, suspending players for hits. The goal is the same as in college football, I think. I think it's to slow down, especially play in the secondary, where guys get running starts and can deliver debilitating hits. Here's a question, in all honesty. What happens if someone gets hit and dies on a football field? You want to talk about things changing overnight? I think at some point, as players continue to get bigger, stronger, and faster, somebody is going to get hit at a certain angle, at a certain point in time, and they're going to die. Just like in boxing every now and then, somebody dies in a boxing ring because you can't fight in boxing. It's a fundamentally dangerous sport. I think it's going to happen in football. It might be 20 years from now. It might be two months from now. It might be 10 years from now. I don't know when it's going to happen. But as guys get bigger, stronger, and faster, somebody is going to get hit. It's going to be on live television, and they're going to die. I really believe this is going to happen. I think the physics of the game, the way that the body works, the the just the mechanics of it. We've obviously had guys be very severely injured, but I think somebody's going to get hit and they're going to die. And I think that what will happen then 
is that suddenly everybody will say, oh my God, what has happened with football? And I don't know what the answer is going to be, but I suspect that they're going to have to go back to the drawing board and try to fundamentally change the way the game of football is played. And by the way, this has happened before. Football at the turn of the century, I think it was Teddy Roosevelt who got involved and saved football because guys were dying playing football in uh, the turn of the century. And so they got involved and they changed the rules. Forward pass was added. A lot of different aspects of the game were changed to try to make it safer because guys were dying playing it. And I'm not talking about nowadays, sometimes guys will die because of heat stroke or things like that. You know, in in high school football, guys die, um, honestly, every year. And a lot of times it's not directly related to football. It's about training outdoors. It's a, you know, there are a variety of different reasons why that could happen. But I think what Mike Mitchell is talking about is the tension that between player safety and also the dynamicism of the league. And I don't know how you, how you solve it, honestly. I think this is a really difficult decision. And I think the NFL is trying to stay ahead of the game and be proactive in trying to promote player safety but how do you promote player safety in a league that's fundamentally rooted in violence? I think that's the disconnect. That's the discordant elements of this decision-making. And I understand his frustration, but I also understand the goal of the NFL to try and make the league safer. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. My guy Todd Furman with us now. He joins us every single Thursday, wakes up early out in the desert to talk with us. Let's talk about the 13th game of the NFL season. It is starting tonight, Thursday night, and we've got an intriguing one, Todd, with the Saints and the Falcons, how do you see it breaking down? Yeah, kind of the last stand, Clay, when you look at Atlanta. Unfortunate last weekend that they weren't able to take advantage of a Vikings offense that looked pretty average in a 14-9-9 defeat. Nearly two years since they had failed to score a touchdown. This number has been crazy to watch. I mean, Atlanta opened as a two-point favorite, moved all the way to New Orleans, minus two, and that's where you started to see professional money come in on the Falcons amid speculation that both Brian Poole and Desmond Trufant, their number one and number two corners, would be available. Of course, the Saints dealing with some injury concerns of their own. Marshawn Lattimore's availability very much up in the air. Their number one corner, and of course, Mark Ingram, a game-time decision. I think this is Atlanta's last stand, but I'm not sure I can make a case for the Falcons. I just don't trust their ability to cover opposing running back catching balls out of the backfield, and Alvin Kamara has become an absolute beast in that regard. If we look at the playoff picture in the NFC, right now the New Orleans Saints are in the four spot. The Atlanta Falcons would be in the seven spot. One, two, and three in the NFC are the Minnesota Vikings, the Philadelphia Eagles, and the LA Rams. Would those three teams be considered favorites uh, to win the NFC, or do you think odds makers would look, even with an extra game going on in the wild card potentially for some of these teams, with the more proven quarterbacks? Like, would, would the Minnesota Vikings be, for instance, favored over, let's say, New Orleans if it were taken? I mean, I'm just kind of curious what you think this the NFC would look like. Because the AFC, obviously you've got Tom Brady and you've got Ben Roethlisberger at the top. Those are guys that I think Vegas is pretty confident in. What? How does Vegas assess the top quarterbacks right now at the top of the NFC? Because you've got Case Keenum, you've got Carson Wentz, and you've got Jared Goff. Are those guys that Vegas believes in? Uh, you know what? It's going to be interesting to see exactly how this all plays out because you mentioned inexperience, and that is definitely going to be the narrative we hear in regards to the NFC. Drew Brees, the only guy that more or less has been there, done that. 
of the potential division winner should the season end right now today. Uh, you look at the Wences, you look at the Goffs, and try and figure out how are those guys going to be able to deal with the pressure. They're kind of a year or two ahead of schedule. Philadelphia, a lot of skepticism amongst professional betters. They've only had one victory so far this season against the team with a winning record, and that was the Carolina Panthers. You look at the Rams, they haven't exactly been stout against opposing ground attacks. Of course, we're going to get a much better indication of where those two teams are Sunday if that game goes on as scheduled at the Coliseum. But the Eagles could be going to that contest with no Zach Ertz. I think the Saints do become the most dangerous team because they can throw the ball, they can run the ball, and if they're healthy defensively, we know they can get stops, unlike previous editions we've seen where Sean Payton and Drew Brees-led teams have kind of floundered a bit. How much has Alvin Kamara meant for the resurgence of Drew Brees in this Saints offense? I think he means the world. I mean, you look at what they've been able to do running the football and trying to create some balance. I mean, Drew Brees currently putting together one of his most efficient seasons that we've seen. Over 70% completion rate, a 17-5 to touchdown interception ratio, and north of 3,000 yards. But he hasn't had a feel he's got to sling the ball 40 to 50 times a game. And when you look at that touchdown pass number, it's relatively modest in comparison to what we've seen in the past. I mean, you look at what Kamara does running the football between the tackles and catching balls out of the backfield. Uh, I think even the most devout Tennessee fans wouldn't believe that his transition to the NFL would be this seamless right away. Well, yeah, Butch Jones, the only guy could have kept him from winning the Heisman Trophy, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> okay, let's talk about some of these other big games. Um, the, uh, the Ravens and the Steelers. Are you a big believer in the Steelers? Uh, it's intriguing to me how they have taken so many different teams down to the wire. It's, you know, they haven't won in a substantial fashion very frequently so far this season. And, that, I mean, I would say that compares not in a favorable way with, for instance, the Patriots, who by and large since their stumbles out of the gate have not just managed to win, they've managed to beat people pretty convincingly. Does winning margin matter at all to you as you analyze the Steelers? I think it's definitely a concern. I mean, you look at Pittsburgh and under Mike Tomlin, they have been the poster child of playing up or playing down to their competition. And we see it week in, week out, especially when they go on the road. Uh, they don't look like that same dynamic offense that we've grown accustomed to at Heinz Field. I mean, we hit the rewind button to a few Thursdays ago against the Tennessee Titans, and that's when they look like the Pittsburgh team that you think is capable of winning the AFC, dropping 40 points. Then they struggle in Sunday Night Football against Green Bay. They spot the Bengals a massive lead. Now, they do have the firepower to come back in those games, but you obviously, when you step up in class against the likes of the Patriots, who they'll see during Week 15, you can't kind of treat every possession almost as a throwaway. And right now, Clay, you're looking at New England probably open up, opening up a slight road favorite for their trip to Heinz Field, which may or may not surprise some folks, but you do worry how that Steelers defense will adjust to life without Ryan Shazier. You try and figure out what they're going to look like against the Ravens in Sunday Night Football without a emerging receiving option in Juju Smith-Schuster. But if they get Antonio Brown the football, they get Le'Veon Bell involved. I mean, we know how explosive they can be, but Bill Belichick has had Coach Tomlin's number, and I think they have to beat the Patriots making the road to the AFC crown uh, go through Pittsburgh rather than them heading up to Gillette, where it's really been a house of horrors when the games matter most. We're talking to Todd Furman, former oddsmakers at Caesars. He is a former oddsmaker at Caesars. He is in Las Vegas. He's waking up early for us in the desert to break down the 13th game of the NFL season for us. Eagles-Rams, I think unquestionably the best game on paper of the weekend. Two-point favorite right now for the Rams. Like you said, the weather concerns out there in Los Angeles obviously looming paramount. But the Eagles, from a sports perspective, 
could lose their second straight game, and maybe the bloom would start to come off their rose a little bit, certainly, if they fell to 10-3 and three and the Rams surged to 10-3. and three. What's going to happen here? Yeah, this number, we've seen the Rams open up as one-point favorites, and uh, as you mentioned, the price has kind of drifted out in their direction towards 2.5. Had this game been played last weekend before the entire country saw Philadelphia fall flat on their face against the Seattle Seahawks, You'd be looking at the Eagles a two-and-a-half-point favorite, and I know a lot of people go, wow, that is a massive move with nearly a five-point adjustment. You do have to put the caveat on there that it's not through key numbers, so it doesn't fundamentally change the handicap of the game in terms of what you're looking for. But unless Zach Ertz can clear concussion protocol, uh, it's going to put a big dent into what Philadelphia wants to be able to do, throwing the football. You look at the weapons, whether it's Nelson Aguilar, Alshon Jeffrey, etc., they're able to stretch the field on the outside, but if there's nobody to exploit the middle, that is a big problem because he is ultimately Carson Wentz's most efficient option. While I do think they should have some success running the ball uh, against this Rams defense, I worry that Philadelphia's secondary could get exposed by arguably the best passing attack they'll have faced. Uh, and I think when you look at what the Rams are able to do to kind of show balance, uh, Philadelphia could definitely get saddled with their second loss in as many weeks. We're talking also about a team uh, that, that seems to be having one of the greatest quarterback seasons of all time, and, and, and that's the Seahawks and what Russell Wilson has been capable of doing for them. The Seahawks just coming off a big win over the Eagles. They now go on the road against the 8-4 and four Jaguars. So we got 8-4 and four Seahawks against the 8-4 and four Jags. The Jags are actually a two-and-a-half point favorite here, even though they've got Blake Bortles going up against Russell Wilson. That seems a little bit off to me. What am I missing here? Yeah, some interesting numbers when you look at this particular matchup. The Seattle Seahawks, during the month of December, under Russell Wilson's leadership, a robust 20-5. and five. So little to say they haven't been underdogs all that often. And you look at the Jaguars, recent history has not been good to them uh, when it comes to covering numbers in their own building. 6-12 and 12 against the spread, Clay, the last 18 at home. Now, some of those dynamics have changed. We've talked at great lengths in the past about Jacksonville really having no true home field advantage, especially the later you got in the season. But now with meaningful games, the weather working in their favor for teams that aren't used to dealing with the heat at this late juncture in the season. This number actually opened Jacksonville a three-and-a-half point favorite, and it's the general public, along with a little bit of early sharp money, gobbling up that field goal plus, taking the number down to two-and-a-half. And a lot of people go, well, Seattle is back. We saw them navigate through a very good Philadelphia defense. But this Jacksonville defensive front and secondary is an animal unto itself. I mean, you look at their ability to get to the quarterback, leading the league in sacks. This secondary has been locked down. And while they've been susceptible to teams running the football against them between the tackles, that's not Seattle's strength. I mean, they've really struggled to get a running back on track unless his name becomes Russell Wilson. For me, I'm not sure what Jacksonville can do offensively against Seattle's defense, but that number was an awfully strong opener, and I respect oddsmakers this late in the year. The slight lean for me, and I know Titans fans won't want to hear it, would actually be towards Jacksonville laying the two and a half at home. Here's an interesting one. I think the Broncos have not covered in eight straight weeks. That's almost unheard of in the NFL. You can kind of contextualize how much futility that is against the number. The Broncos have fallen to a 3-9 and nine record, and they're actually a home underdog against the Jets. If we had started off this season telling you that the Broncos would be a home underdog against the Jets, you guys would have all told me I'm crazy. Yet here we are in the 13th game of the season, Five and seven New York Jets who've been, I think it's fair to say, pretty good. Much better than anticipated, considering a lot of people thought they'd be in the running to go 0-16 against the 3-9 and Broncos. How bad are the Broncos? How much of this is on Vance Joseph? What's the line telling us here? 
Yeah, pretty wild when we consider the Jets' win total coming into the season was set at three and a half, and you'd actually seen that number go from five and a half where it opened early down to three and a half, and people still looking to go under for just the reasons you outlined. A lot of thought that, hey, this team talent-wise could go 0-16. Instead, they've been one of the better bets in the NFL at 7-4-1 and against the number. And you mentioned Denver on the flip side, one of the worst records, 2-9-1 and against the spread right now. I think Vance Joseph has his hands full trying to identify a quarterback. Trevor Simeon, Brock Osweiler, Paxton Lynch, none of those guys currently on the roster are going to take this team where it needs to go. And defensively, they haven't exactly lived up to their lofty expectations. They've been below average at best. And the minus 16 turnover ratio for them, I think it is an indictment of why the defense hasn't quite been able to look anything close to the 2015 edition and 2016 teams, let alone the Super Bowl winning caliber product that we saw a few short years ago. That all being said, I'm not running to lay points on the road with a bad football team, and that's still the Jets. They've been good enough to cover. I don't trust them to win these games outright, but at the same time, you have to be almost clinically insane to try and make a case for the Denver Broncos anytime they get on the football field as being a good bet. Titans are 8-4, and four, number three seed overall right now in the AFC. They're going on the road against the Cardinals. Are the Titans any good? Uh, I don't think they're all that good. I think this is a team, you look at their 8-4 and four record, and sure, they control their own destiny. They're going to have a chance to win the division for sure down the stretch. Uh, but you look at what they do defensively. I mean, surrendering 240-plus passing yards puts them in the lower third uh, of the league. Well, they've been surprisingly Good against the run, all things considered. I think their inability to find separation for mediocre teams kind of groups them in the same bucket as the Steelers. But as we've seen, Pittsburgh definitely has that offensive talent and that lockdown defense, something the Titans haven't been able to bring to the table. Now, I'm sure a lot of their backers would tell me uh, I'm nuts when you consider how Tennessee has found improbable ways to cover each of the last two weeks against the Houston Texans and the Colts. I think this is more or less where water meets its level. A little bit surprised to see them a full field goal favorite. And if Blaine Gabbert protects the football and Arizona can get anything going on the ground, uh, I think the Cardinals can improve their woeful 3-8-1 record against the number uh, to 4-8-1 and and maybe pull off the outright upset. Are the Cowboys any good? Uh, Dallas has some major issues they need to address. I think a lot of people who watched the game last Thursday and saw that final score, the 38-14 margin against the Redskins, go, oh, Dallas has fixed all that ails them. They're back. That was actually the fourth straight game, Clay, that they'd failed to eclipse 300 yards of offense. They did get the ground game on track, which masked some of their defensive deficiencies. Uh, but I think betting against Dallas is a road favorite here with Eli Manning being inserted back into the Giants' starting lineup. Maybe one of the better investments you can make. Always tough to try and back the Giants, but you're not going to get rich in this league backing bad teams laying over a field goal on the road. And I think Dallas has to show me more on the offensive side. There's minimal shot, if that, that the Cowboys can run the table and get into the NFC playoff picture at 10-6. and six. One team you could have gotten rich backing of late has been the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, they are 10-2. and two. They're going on the road for the second straight week in the NFC South this week against the Panthers. The Vikings nearly a three-point favorite. Has Vegas caught up with the Vikings at all? How rare is it to see a situation like this where a team consistently is performing so well against the number yet not receiving much respect in Las Vegas? What gives? Yeah, they definitely have not caught up to me. You look at Minnesota, they opened as a one-point favorite this week. Number has ballooned out to a full field goal in some locations. I think you're going to see that three kind of disappear from the market, maybe trend back towards two and a half as you identify a little bit of value. Carolina has actually thrived over the last three seasons, going nine and three against the number as an underdog. But you mentioned the Vikings being undervalued, and some of these stats are absolutely staggering when you look at what they've been able to accomplish. 
The last 45 games, the Vikings 32-13 and 13 against the spread. That just Pretty doesn't good. happen, by the way, in the NFL, right? No, it has, doesn't happen. We look at the Patriots. I mean, they've been a good blind bet, but the Vikings have been the single best bet, and it continues to fly under the radar. And you look at how they've done as a favorite, 20-7 and seven straight up, but 19-8 and eight against the spread. The last 27 times they've been favored against NFC opponents, 23-11 and 11 against the number against NFC South division teams over the last three seasons, a modest 5-0 and against the number as well. I mean, what the Vikings have done on the defensive side doesn't get enough recognition, and what they have is a formidable offense led by Case Keenum and a two-headed monster in the backfield with Jarek McKinnon and Latavius Murray. I mean, you just keep riding the horse until it bucks you, and I see no reason why that trend could potentially change this weekend. All right, last game in the NFL I'm going to ask you about, Raiders-Chiefs. The Chiefs start off the season 5-0, and since that time, they are 1-6, which is an unbelievable stretch, yet they are over a field goal favorite against the Raiders, who obviously started off the season on a rough stretch but have sort of righted the ship of late. Uh, this is a division that looks like it's going to potentially go to an 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7 and seven division winner. So both teams are now alive for that playoff berth. What do you see in this one? Uh, this is a team in Kansas City where uh, I actually bet their win total under nine before the season started. They get out of the gates 5-0 and oh and uh, figured that was going to be a small tax write-off as far as investments were concerned, now with a little bit of life there. You look at the Chiefs, and it hasn't been their offense that's let them down despite all of the discussion about is it time for Andy Reid to go from Alex Smith to Patrick Mahomes. Kansas City last weekend, Clay, set an NFL record this season, number one in terms of yards per play. Now, I know they only ran 46 plays from scrimmage against the Jets. They averaged over 10 yards per play and still found a way to lose in MetLife Stadium. You look at them defensively. I mean, you can run the ball against them. You can throw against them. And the Raiders know that they'll be able to move the football a little more effectively through the air with the suspension coming down internally to Marcus Peters. However, this could be the ultimate buy-low scenario. I think the Kansas City Chiefs will be able to move the football themselves against Oakland. And while the Raiders' receiving core looks to be healthier than it's been in recent weeks, I just can't get myself to back the Raiders uh, and a defense that can't force turnovers, oftentimes can't get off the field. And you'd have to think if the Chiefs have anything left to try and salvage their season, it'll be against a hated division rival with revenge on their minds for that Thursday night game where Oakland was able to run 97 plays inside the five-yard line with under a minute to go. We're talking to Todd Furman. Uh, last question for you, Todd. Thanks for waking up early with us out in the desert in Las Vegas. Did the college football playoff committee get it right? And how would you assess the two matchups that are set for New Year's Day? I do think they got it right. Obviously, you have to find the perfect blend of most deserving and best teams to kind of put on the field. So you look at Oklahoma, Clemson, and Georgia. There was minimal debate about their worthiness of inclusion, given what they had accomplished. And from a neutral field standpoint, Alabama would have been favored over Ohio State. I think ultimately that 55-24 debacle in Iowa City uh, worked against the Buckeyes. They didn't take advantage of a bad Wisconsin team that they could have blown out for style points. So Alabama, there's a reason they made the playoff. There's a reason they're odds-on favorite, a 2-1 to one at betonline.ag to win the national title. You look at the Oklahoma-Georgia game, uh, you're going to see professional money continue to flow in on Georgia. Would not be shocked in the least if there's a suspension of Oklahoma's running back. They this number ticked out to a full field goal. You do worry about the Bulldogs, that they haven't faced a passing attack as explosive as what May- Baker Mayfield brings. But in the trenches on the offensive and defensive line, I think Georgia can run the football, play keep away. I like the Bulldogs quite a bit, at least early on. And in the other game, you begin to wonder how this Clemson defense will adjust to uh, Jeremy Pruitt's 
splitting his time between responsibilities as Tennessee's head coach and defensive coordinator. Uh, I think Alabama gets healthy on that side of the ball. They can stymie Kelly Bryan in an offense that needs to stay ahead of the chains down and distance-wise. They can't pick up chunk yardage like they could with Deshaun Watson. And on the other side, will Jalen Hurts be able to move the football a little bit more effectively against Clemson's defense and some of their other opponents? I like that game under the total at 47 quite a bit. Those would be my initial leans as far as investments are concerned in the two biggest bowl games of this postseason. Good stuff as always, Todd. We'll talk to you next week. Always a pleasure, Clay. Enjoy the games this weekend. Will do. That's Todd Furman waking up early with us out in the desert. You can go follow him on Twitter at Todd, F-U-H-R-M-A-N. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. All right, game off. We got to pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. I know what you're saying, flag on the play. You already talked about that, but there's just so much good stuff in this game. In Monopoly Go, you can team up with friends for time tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. The more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. Unique stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes. Cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with. Hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges. A ton include their new unique mini-games like Digging for Treasure or a Robot Pachinko Machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go, so get off the bench and go download it now free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on!